Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. About two years ago, when I was experiencing a very challenging moment in my life, uh, I would envision myself and imagine myself uh, giving testimony, testifying about God and how he uh, brought me out while I was still going through it. So to stand up here today is a testament of, of God's glory. Yeah. So Father, we just thank you, Lord. I just thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for just being so true, Lord, to your word. I thank you for your love and your joy and your peace. I thank you for everything, Lord, that you placed in me today, Lord. I pray, Father, that the words that I speak, that there are words that you want your people to hear, that our ears would be open to hear it. And Father, I pray that whatever you want us to receive from it, we get. Let it produce the fruit that you expect, and we just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it be so. All right. So um, I'm going to start off in Genesis. Genesis is one of my, my favorite books in the Bible. It's because, like, if I get to a place where I'm kind of stuck in life or, uh, you know, I just don't have direction, I usually go back to Genesis because it's the beginning. So to me, that's God's intent for man. And so that's, that's usually where, like, that's my go-to book. So in Genesis, God creates man in his image and his likeness, right? And then he gave the plan after he created man. And his plan was for man to have dominion over everything on earth, in the earth, everything that creeps on the earth. And then he gave man his provision, and he said that every tree that bears fruit with seed in itself, you'd have for food. Right? And then he gave man his commandment. He said there's two other trees. There's one, the tree of life, and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said the latter do not eat the fruit of it. You got me? You with me? All right. So I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. God made him, right? He said to the woman, "God, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And he knows God did not say that, right? This guy is super sneaky. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took, the, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of, of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. So here we are. We have God who created everything, right? He created man. He even creates his serpent, and this serpent was something that man had dominion over. And it interjects this thought into man that maybe 
God is not being truthful, that there's something that he's holding from them, right? And so Eve hears that, she listens, and she considers that maybe, maybe the serpent is correct, and she starts to analyze the situation, right? She looks, it says she looks, and she saw that the fruit looked good for food. And then it also says that it was a delight to her eyes, so it looked, looked pleasurable, right? And then she picked up the fruit, and it must have felt okay because she ate it. And it must have tasted okay because she also gave some to her husband, right? And they made basically a determination based on a created thing that God wasn't being truthful, and they lost trust. And, of course, we know that they died spiritually. And we know that they lost trust because it says that when God came, when they heard the footsteps of God, they ran and hid themselves, all right? So here's, here's the thing. As, as we all have this trust issue with, with God. We have a trust issue. And I'll tell you why we have a trust issue. It's because we perceive things in the natural. And even Adam, so when they, when they, when they analyzed to try to figure out if what God was saying was true, they used their natural perception to determine that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Let's show you something. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this verse is, this is telling us a couple of things. First, that God is a spirit, right? And the second thing it's saying is that in order to understand God, you can't understand him with your natural perception, right? And so that's the situation that, um, that we face is that when we're trying to understand the things of God, spiritual things, you can't perceive. There's a such thing as like uh, spiritual discernment, and there's also physical discernment. Physical discernment is limiting because it only allows you to confirm the things that you can sense with your natural senses, right? So how do we deal with this trust issue? They didn't see the value of God's word. So I'm going to go through a few, um, I mean, there's many values to God's word, but I'm just going to pick up, I'm going to highlight a few, right, for us to, to look at. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16. All right. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right? So one thing we know about the word of God is that it's for teaching, for reproof, for correction. It's to equip us for what? For the good work of God, for the good work, for every good work. So each one of us, everyone knows that, that famous scripture, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, right? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, for welfare and not for evil to give you a hope in the future. So God has a plan for, to give us hope in the future. But what we just read is that there's an equipping in order to do the good work of God, which we get 
from the word of God. Do you guys want that future? Word of God. All right. The word of God also gives us God's word provision. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I got a lot of scriptures, guys, so this is going to be good. It says this divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. The promises of God is his word, right? It says that it gives us life and godliness. So all things that pertains to life comes from God's promises and his words. All things. You want life? You want to know about things in, in life? All right, God's word. And then let's go to second or Proverbs chapter four. Verse 20. Health. God's word provides health. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my saying. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them, and healing to their flesh. So God's word is life to those who find them, and healing to your flesh. So it's not just talking about spiritual healing. It says flesh, right? His words are life. That's why he said to pay attention. Don't let them escape from your sight. And then Psalm 107 verse 20 he sent this word and healed him. So his word heals. Right? Another thing, another benefit of God's word is that his word reveals truth. You guys want, you guys want truth? John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my words and you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So abiding in God's word, right, reveals things. It gives you truth. And that truth brings freedom. Right. And then God's word also. gives us faith. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, or Christ, right? So God's word is very essential for believers, and we walk by faith, right? But just because we walk by faith doesn't mean that we won't be challenged, Challenges come. So if you receive a word from God, how will you respond? Will you look at the situation and see that it's different from what God's word says? Right? What if an opposing voice comes and tells you something contrary to God's word? What if it doesn't feel right? What if it seems impossible? What if persecution and tribulation comes? What if it takes so much longer than you expected? Right? Will you still trust God or will you look for another option? 
Here's something interesting about persecution, the challenging of God's word, right? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, all, which one of you are left after that all, right? Every person that desires to live a godly life should expect persecution to come. Persecution comes, right? It's going to challenge that word. And I'm going to show you why persecution comes. God's word is going to show you. Mark chapter 4. Aren't this interesting? Chapter 16. Or Mark chapter 4, verse 16. All right. So Jesus, is, he just gave the parables about the seed being sown in different soil conditions. And he's given the explanation of one. And he says, and these are the ones sown, by, sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Why did persecution and tribulation come? On account of the word. So because the word was given, persecution and tribulation is on its way. Like you can guarantee that. Because it's coming to take the word from you. So somebody may tell you Jesus is real. Persecution is coming, all right? <laughs> you may hear a word from God that you are healed. Tribulation and persecution is going to come to take that word away. You may read a Bible verse that speaks to you. Tribulation and persecution is on its way. You can guarantee that. You get a prophetic dream. Guess what? Guess who's showing up? Persecution and tribulation <laughs> to take that, that dream that God gave you away. It's on its way. Because the enemy, his purpose is to intercept the word that you receive from God, right? It says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said he came that, that you might have life more abundant, abundantly, right? It says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's coming to steal the life that Jesus brought, right? And the Bible shows us that it's important to know the enemy's, uh, his plan. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it's talking about forgiveness, but in that verse it says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So God's purpose, like we, you know, a lot of times we focus on God, which is awesome, always focus on God, but also know what the enemy is up to too as, as well, because you can't be, he's, he's very smart. He's been around for thousands of years, right? I don't know how long. He's been around for a while. So this guy, he's not all-knowing, right? But he has a few tricks up his sleeve. So you got to be aware. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom someone to devour. His purpose is to devour someone, right? We're to trust in God. So I want to give you guys a couple of examples of... People standing, just two, standing on the word of God. 
We'll start off with Paul. So go to Acts chapter 4. Actually, sorry, what did I say? Acts chapter 4, that's not right. Actually, chapter 23, verse 11. All right, so to set this up, Paul, you know, he was going across, basically, to share the gospel. He arrives in Jerusalem, in the temple, and he's captured, basically, um, you know, put on trial for uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus. And he's in a situation where he's not sure what's going to happen. Maybe they're going to kill him. And in verse 11, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. It says the Lord stood next to him, right? Who's the word? The Lord is the word, right? The Lord stood next to him. He didn't send an angel. He came himself. And he stood next to Paul, and he gives him this word. He says, you are to go to Rome and testify about me, right? The stuff in between, who cares what happens, right? He knows he's going to Rome. So, you know, he's not worrying about dying anymore because he knows that that word was given. So follow Paul to chapter 27. This is also interesting. Uh, I'm going to start in verse... Nine, but just to set it up, so some time has passed. Paul was on, I guess, a ship with the people that captured him, and he's on his way to Rome. And the conditions of the sea is just not not great at all. Like the water is rough, the wind is rough, and it's just not looking favorable to 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 sail. And so, picking up in verse nine, all right, it says, "Since much time had passed." And the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. He perceived this. What did he perceive this from? Right? What did God tell him? What did Jesus, who stood next to him, tell him before? He said he was going to Rome. Right? And so he's looking at the condition of the sea and the winds. I'm not trying to put down Paul, but this is just what, what's in the scripture. He's looking at the conditions of the winds and the seas, and he's getting discouraged because his natural perception of the situation doesn't look like God's word is going to come to pass if they proceed, right? So let's go to, actually in that same chapter, we'll go down. I think I'm going to start. All right. So they, they basically, to, to set it up before we read in verse 21, they proceed, and the conditions aren't favorable. They have a lot of interception from, from just the weather. And in verse 21, Paul says, he says, since they have been, says, since they have been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail for Crete and incurred the injury and loss. Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, for only of the ship. So what changed from what he said before? Like we just read that he said, you know, they're gonna lose lives. 
Now he said there will be no loss. Verse 23, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God, the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sow with you. So take heart, man, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. Did the angel tell him anything different from what Jesus told him before? <laughs> God is faithful. Like he, you know, he knows our humanity. He knows what we, you know, deal with doubts and stuff. And so he wanted to reaffirm, he confirmed his word by sending an angel this time. And the angel told him the same thing. He's going to go and peer in front of Caesar. But what if he had stood on that word originally, right? All right, so that's, uh, that's Paul. Let's talk about Abraham, the father of our faith. Genesis chapter 17, verse 16. All right. So God is talking to Abraham about Sarah, his wife. And he says, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. All right. And so. Going down to verse, uh, let's see, 18. Right. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So, all right, so God gives Abraham this word that he's going to bless him through Sarah. But he also gave, God gave Abraham this word 10 years before when he was 90 years old and Sarah was 80 years old. And because of, you know, Sarah was barren and she was old and he was old. They decided to use uh, Sarah's midwife, Haggai, to have a son and help God out because it couldn't happen the way that they, you know, the way they saw it. And so they had Ishmael. And so in verse 18, after God tells them that Sarah, his now 90-year-old wife, is going to have a son, Abraham suggests like, oh, that Ishmael, you could do it through Ishmael, right? And then God tells him, he says in verse 19, God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. All right? So God gives him that word. He's like, nope, I'm going to do this word, like, like I said in the beginning, through Sarah. So let's go to... 22. So some time had passed, right? Verse 22. Sarah actually gets pregnant and she has Isaac. He gets older. And we come to Genesis chapter 21. And God tests the promise that he gave to Abraham. And that promise was Isaac. And he tells him, I want you to take that promised son and I want you to sacrifice him. What's interesting is that in verse Three, it says, so basically after God told him that, he says, so Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey. So he didn't second guess this. God said, you're going to sacrifice your son. He's like, all right, let's go. You know, he didn't second guess it. And so he's on his way with his son and he has two, his two servants too. In verse five, it says, then, then Abraham said to his young man, his, his two servants, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. God told him he was going to sacrifice his son. 
his response to his servants is, we're going to go worship the boy and I, and both of us, we're going to come back here again to you. Like, look at the faith of this guy. Is that he's not worried about the in-between. He's focusing on the promise that God gave him, which was he's going to bless his seed through Isaac. So even though he was, he was going to sacrifice his son, he's still sure that his son's going to come back with him. And then um, skip down to verse 7. It says, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Faith talking again. God's going to provide. Like he know the word that God gave him, and he's sticking to it. Hebrews chapter 11, this is the same story, but look at it from this, this book. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So that's, that's Abraham's, that's his perspective, is that God gave him that word that he's going to bless his seed through Isaac. And so even some, something contrary that actually came from God to tell him to sacrifice his son, he still knows that whatever God spoke before has to come to pass, right? And his thing is that, and his thought process is that, if I sacrifice my son, then a miracle is about to happen. God's going to raise him up or something because his promise is going to come to pass. Right? So what if in our situations when God gives us words, right, and he tells us something, and then the impossibility happens, right, something that makes it seem so like this is not going to happen. What if we said the same thing? What if we said, you know what, this situation seems impossible, but God's word said this, so this will come to pass. A miracle is about to happen now. Like, what if we said that? What if, what if without all doubt, right, and we're focused on God's word, that this miracle is going to happen? What if? What if, right? So what is God, how does God view his word? Here's something. There's a lot of scriptures about how God views his word, but I'm going to take you to, I was going to do two, but I'll do one. Because it's very interesting. Psalm 138, verse 2. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name, your steadfast love, and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. That's what my translation says, which I love, the ESV, but it's actually not really saying what, the, what, what it actually says in the, the Hebrew. I'm going to read it from the complete Jewish Bible. It says, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for you for your grace and truth, for you have made your word even greater than your own reputation. Right? So we know that God's word is above everything, right? Every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus, right? But even above God's name is his word. He places his word above everything which means that there's nothing above it, right? What's under God's word? Everything else. 
So, bills that you have are under God's word, right? The negative doctor's report that you received is under God's word. The opposition that's coming against you is beneath his word. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says to set your mind on what? Things above and not on earthly things. What are the things above? God's word. God's word is above, right? The earthly things are everything else is happening. Don't look at that. Look at the things that are above, which is God's word. That's what stands. That's what's above everything that we're going through. Everything that we experience in life is beneath God's word. You agree? You guys? All right. So how do you fight these opposing like thoughts and ideas that come against God's word. The first thing is to not let those thoughts stay in your mind. Right? Don't let the evil thoughts stay. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when, you, when your obedience is complete. So it says to take every thought captive, right? If you let those thoughts stay, it's like taking trash and if you put it underneath the rug, right? You may not see it for a while, but eventually you're going to trip over it. So every thought that you have that opposes God's word, you to take it captive, he says. And then after you take that thought captive, you take it to the king. It says... Um, we tell God everything, right? Go to God and tell him everything. Tell him, tell him the lies that the enemy told you. Expose it to him. And then listen to, listen to what God says about it. What does God say about those lies that you heard? What's his response, right? Does he give you a direct word? Does a Bible verse pop up? That's God's word. What scriptures come to your spirit? And then once you receive the word from God, you tell those opposing thoughts, those voices, what God said. Tell it what God said. Tell it what God said. Right. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Through 11. Finally, be a strong, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly day. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And then go down to 
I guess we could read all of that. Take up the whole armor of God. Uh, sorry. What verse is that? Oh, 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes on for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword, of spirit, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And that word is rhema, which is the spoken word, right? That's your sword. That's our sword. I had a dream. I'm going to tell you about a dream I had a few years ago. And in this dream, I was in this learning institution of some sort. And it was a crowd of people, and there was a speaker. And the speaker, would, whatever he spoke, would, would turn into food, and we would eat it. But I wouldn't eat it. Like, I, I put it in my mouth, and it was just, it got stuck, and it would come up, and I kept vomiting everything. And so they complained to the teacher, like, everything that you feed this guy, everything you speak to him, he's vomiting it up. And so I knew I had to leave. I left, went to a new place. It was a house, uh, and in a house were two demons. Um, I knew it to be my house. And suddenly, the armor of God came on me. And it was this bright gold armor that just illuminated the entire space and there was no shadows left and as soon as the demons saw it they ran and fled right and I chased them down and I grabbed my sword and I popped them like a balloon and then I found the other one that's hiding in the closet and I popped it like a balloon and I woke up and the Lord told me that basically there were some lies that I was believing about myself was one and then he said that I, would, I was going to go through a spiritual battle, a twofold spiritual journey, and that in order to defeat it, I, need the, I needed the armor of God and the sword, which is the word, right? And then Jesus was tempted, right? I won't go there for the sake of time, but when he was in the wilderness, the enemy came, and he tried to counter the word that God spoke to Jesus. And every time, Jesus said, it is written. And then Satan changed the subject, and then Jesus said, it is written. And then Satan changed the subject again. Happened three times because the enemy cannot fight against the word of God. The enemy cannot fight against the word of God. Satan cannot defeat the truth of the word. He cannot. So our weapon, like all the other weapons of the armor of God is de defensive. Like you got the shield, you got the helmet, right? Our offens offensive weapon is a sword. That's what we use to fight with. So after, so when those thoughts come, right, you take those thoughts captive. You tell God, expose the lie. Listen to what God says about it. You hold on to that, right? And then you tell those thoughts exactly what God said. Don't use your own words. Say what God said. Right? And then finally, you praise God. Go to Romans chapter 4. Verse 19. Talking about 
father of our faith again, Abraham. This guy is like famous. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. This is a lot, sin a lot, right? It says he didn't grow strong, he didn't weaken in faith when he considered. So Abraham absolutely did consider his body. He knew his 100-year-old body was there. He considered Sarah's 90-year-old body. Absolutely he did. We just read that. He laughed, right? He considered it, but he also considered God's word, which was higher. Remember we said that God's word is above all? So he considered that, and that made him not waver. But it says, no unbelief made him waver, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as what? As he gave glory to God. So praising God and worshiping God, right? You go strong in faith. You go strong in faith. And it says he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he's still holding on to that word. Share another story quickly. Yeah, share another story. So the beginning I talked about two years ago when I was dealing with the challenge. There was one day when I woke up, and my vision was just not there. It was like 5 or 6 in the morning, something like that. It's tough for me to see. I'm just weak. My body's so weak, right? And I managed to crawl because I'm like, I'm feeling discouraged now. Before that, I'm standing on God's word. I'm speaking his word. But this day was different. And so I just, I managed, I was on the top floor of my apartment, so I, I managed to crawl up to the rooftop. And I go outside, and I, and I yell, like, as, as, as much as my voice could come out, as loud as I could, I could be. And I said, um, I, told, I just said everything that I was feeling. I was talking to God, and I said, you know, I'm, you know, I feel weak right now. My vision is going out, and this and that. And I'm just saying everything that... I'm feeling, right? And then I said, but your word says that by his stripes I'm healed. Your word says that you sent your word to heal me. And then I told him what he also told me personally, which was he said the word, the healing was already in me. And I'm just declaring this stuff, right? And I say, so I know that this situation has to change. I know that this body has to line up with your word, Right? And then I started praising God, and I thanked them. I said, I thank you, Lord, that your word is true, that your promises are true, that I'm healed. You know, I may not see the manifestation, but I'm healed. And that's what I needed. That was the encouraging. Like, it says that you, he grew strong in faith as he encouraged God, right? Or as he worshiped God, as he gave glory to God. That carried me. That carried me. And I started to see God's word. I'm like, nope, you know what? The situation looks this way. I'm feeling this way. This, I, have to, I have to go against it. Stand on God's word. When Martha was at the tomb of Lazarus and she was mourning, Jesus was also there. And Jesus told her, he said, did I, not, did I not say to you that if you believe, you shall see the glory of God? Right? You shall see his glory. If you believe God's word, you shall see his glory. That's, you shall. Shell is an absolute. Like, I pay attention when the Bible, when God says things like shell, when he says awe, or he says, like, those are certain things, right? So believing, we see the glory of God. 
We have to trust God's word. Okay. All right. I think I'll stop there. It's getting late. I know you guys are tired. All right. So I, I just, I guess, just to sum up. So God's word, we can trust Him. You know, we we try to use our our natural senses to to understand life on this earth. And our, our natural senses are good, but they can only take us so far because they can't confirm God's word. God's word is the truth. It's higher, even above where we can see, right? That's what it talks about, faith out of substance of things, hope for it, evidence of things not seen. God's word are higher, so we can't always see the reality of what's, what his words are, right? We have to trust his word beyond what we're able to see and perceive with our physical senses because his word is the truth. We read that, right? So I'm going to pray. I don't know if you guys want to. You can stand. Uh, worship team, come. <laughs> Always wanted to say that. I got to say. <laughs> worship team, where are you? Yeah. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just honor you for who you are. Lord, you're so faithful. Yes, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is above everything, everything in life, Lord. Thank you that your word is above all of our situations, all of our hardships, all the negative reports, Lord, all the opposing thoughts, Lord. Your, your word is above it all. And so, Father, thank you that we can focus on that, Lord, that you've given us your word. You said to keep them in our heart. And so, Father, we thank you that you've given us your word in our hearts. But we just honor you for just who you are. We honor you for just the truth of who you are, Lord. And we say that we trust you. The plans that we have for you, Lord, the plans that you have for us, the plans that you have for us, Lord, we agree with your plans. Lord, we agree with the purposes that you have for our lives, Lord God. And we ask you, Lord God, to have your way. So, Lord, I ask for every person in here, anything that they're going through, any hardships, Lord God, that you would give them a word, that you would help us, Lord God, that you give us a word that we can stand on, that you allow us to see, Lord God, aside from everything that may be happening, all of the chaos in the world, Lord, that we would stand on your word. You said if we see, if we speak to that mountain, if we say be removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in our heart, but we believe those things what we say, then it shall come to pass. So whatever is opposing your word, we just command it to go right now in Jesus' name. We command sickness to go in Jesus' name. We command poverty to go in Jesus' name. Depression, you have to go. You're below God's words. Thank you, Lord. So faithful. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at Life Center NYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.